What's going on, everybody? It's another episode of Icy Takes with Jeff and Big Dave featuring Zach from Pens of Anarchy. And boys, you know, let's introduce ourselves first because we got a lot to get into, especially with hockey, because a lot of people are complaining in both of the sports that we cover. But before we start complaining about them complaining, how are we? <laughs> what, a, what a great intro. I'm, uh, I'm doing well. Thank you, Dave pleasure to be on here uh do i officially have my interim tag uh stripped am i a full-time member now or is this a week-to-week the pto podcast i mean we need to we need to maybe make an official announcement before we take off that interim tag so we'll get we'll get making a we'll get a graphic (laughs) made for that looking forward to that yeah i think it definitely we have to meet with management go over some some numbers see where you fit under the cap and everything because you know, as soon as we take it off, there's going to be about 30 people that don't like the move. So That's true. Yeah, it's just, yeah. we got to get a statement All right, and well, everything like that. So Yeah, we'll, we'll have Zach handle the own statement to introduce him to our show. So <laughs> And graphic. <laughs> yep, exactly. Just get to work over there. Do, do you, got something, you got something to do whenever I introduce topics at, a, at the lengthy rate that I do sometimes. So... So let's let's just get into it, um, Jeff. I think we're, we decided that we're going to talk about hockey first, and we had yet another firing in the NHL, and it's, this one was a little more confusing than others. Maybe not the most confusing, but it was out there. Yeah. So, uh, like you mentioned, what would an icy take show be without another guy getting fired in the NHL? Um, this, this one is for hockey reasons. We were told, um, Bruce Boudreau got let go by the Minnesota wild. Um, they blew a two goal lead last week against the New York Rangers. I believe that was Saturday night, Friday or Saturday night. So that'd be what? Two weeks ago earlier than that. Maybe like Wednesday night, Wednesday night. Yeah. So, um, so they blow that lead. They lose in a shootout and then they, uh, they come in for their their day after, go over some some video, some meetings and stuff. And Bill Guerin came into Boudreaux's office and said, uh, "You're fired." So um, uh, I don't know if you guys saw Michael Russo's article in the Athletic today. It pretty much caught up with Boudreaux after uh, the firing. It kind of like spilled out everything that happened, how it all went down, and everything. And the one thing that caught me off guard was that he was kind of surprised of the timing of the whole um, the whole firing. He said in the article that um, being on the last year of his contract, no extension was being talked about or anything. Um, that you know he he knew he probably wasn't going to be in Minnesota after this year, but after winning seven of their last ten, I believe um, they're kind of going in the right direction, hopefully trying to make a push to uh, get a wild card spot. And uh, they get a, a loss to the, to the Rangers and um, it, it ends up getting fired. So, um, yeah, I think it, 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 I kind of agree with them that it's kind of weird that you, you win seven of your last 11 and you're getting fired all of a sudden. Like it, it, it just seems a little unorthodox, um, being this deep into the season. Yeah, and I, I don't know 
that, I mean, Bruce Boudreaux was already, like you said, in his final year with a new general manager coming in, keeping that head coach. It doesn't really usually last that long. And with the amount of talent that they had on that team, it wasn't like they were set up for a deep playoff run. It was lucky enough for them to even be making the playoffs. And then they still can within reason. But I still see this team finishing in the bottom half. And I think right now Billy Guerin might already have someone pegged, whether it's someone in the own system or if he's already got his eyes set on someone else outside of Minnesota. Zach, what would you take from this firing? So I kind of agree with that. Um, I, I do think it's a bit odd because Minnesota currently sits seven points out of the second wild card spot. So in reality, I mean, yeah, they have a, a chance, but I don't think it really happens. And I think, you know, you just traded Jason Zucker before you fired Bruce Boudreaux. You had to think that giving up one of your best wingers, you know, you were just even lessening the chances of competing. Therefore, I mean, like you said, like we all talked about, he's, he's in the final year of his contract. So I, I would have held on to him myself. I do I did find that kind of surprising. That said, if he if they do have someone pegged or if Darren has is grooming someone for the position, that I can understand that. Yeah, I think too, it's just it th- throws me off too that um they kind of left him in limbo for so long and they kind of started off you know, not strong, but they they were kind of up and down all year and and he said in that article yeah, they've been competitive, and they he said in the article with Russo that, you know, we've kind of started feeling like we're getting things turned around and we're going um, in a positive direction, and then the minute they kind of came back down to earth a little bit, that's when they fired him. Like, I think mm-hmm. it's one thing if he gets fired in November or December when they struggled a little bit, but the fact that they're kind of right in the ship a little bit, I think that's what that that's what throws everything off. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I think, exactly. uh, yeah, go ahead. Uh, no, I was just, just looking back at some of their games. It looks like they had at least two shutouts in their last 10 games, one of them to the Stars 7 to nothing, and another one to the, the Golden Knights most recently to 4 nothing. So it, in some of these games, they were performing very well. Um, and, like, and you already mentioned it, about like seven of the last 11 they had won. It was kind of confusing to see the, the timing of all of this so I, I of all the firings that had had happened where would you rank this out of all eight of them um i think when you go through some of them like the bill peters one is obviously like that had to happen um the mike babcock thing was inevitable especially being in toronto um this one's just bizarre i think um Especially, you, I agree with Zach, too. You traded Jason Zucker to the Penguins. You've pretty much put your flag in the ground that, hey, we're, we're selling. And you're not, you're not just going to let this guy just finish out the year. Because like, it, it seems like the Wild are, are put, putting up the surrender flag and they're getting ready for next year and for the draft and trying to rebuild themselves here a little bit. And I think it's one thing, too, to be said, too, that during his time there, Bruce Boudreau really didn't have a superstar to work with. I mean, he had – look at the past players he's worked with um, in previous teams he's coached. He had Getzloff and Perry in Anaheim. He had Ovechkin, Backstrom, and the star-studded Washington Capitals. So, 
Um, I think he had, what, two or three playoff appearances in Minnesota, if I'm correct? And That sounds about right. Yeah, yeah so, I mean, I mean, he had a lot of – he for the team that he had to work with, I think he actually did a pretty good job during his ten, tenure in uh, Minnesota for how good the Central Division was because he was dealing with the Blues when in their cup last year, um, the, Haw- the Hawks for the years that they were successful – Winnipeg when they were when they were getting going so um I would call his tenure a success and this one just kind of makes you scratch your head a little bit and somehow that's probably the second most confusing firing this season behind Gerard Gallant of the uh Vegas Gold Knights oh who could Uh, forget that one that one was not that was yeah that was insane but uh that said I, I mean it's definitely something questionable obviously uh Bill Peters had to go uh Babcock for sure uh, John Hines for sure, but this one, uh, you know, I, I could, I guess I could see it, but I would have obviously thought that, you know, it, I, I didn't think it would come to the end of the year when he was just out of a contract. To, to have a little bit of fun with this, I'm going to put Zach on the spot. Zach, you already mentioned a couple names. Name all eight coaches that either resigned or were fired this season. Go. Oh boy, this is going to hurt. Okay, so Babcock, Peters, Gallant, uh. Obviously, now Boudreaux. What do I got? Four. What am I batting? 50% right now. That's four so far. That's 500. Oh, boy. 500. I mean, that's good for baseball. Hang on. Let me oh. think. Uh, <laughs> Arms out for a tag if you want it. Arms out for a tag if you want I'm, it. I'm tagging you in this match because I'm drawing a blank right now. That's a tag. Peter Laviolette. Oh, yeah. Peter Laviolette. Peter Laviolette. Um, who else? Who else? Who else? Sabres fire anyone this year? No, no, they're the hanging Russians, no, the Sabres have gotten three coaches fired following losses to them. That's the best part, I think. Oh, Jim Montgomery from Dallas. There you uh, go. Yep. Two more. Yep. Two um, more. Hmm. Pete DeBoer. Yes. Pete DeBoer. And and he's hired again, which and is he's, yeah, he, uh, he's taking over Vegas. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and there's one uh, more. Did LA fire their coach? Yes, no, no, no. I don't don't believe so. Did you guys already already mention a a team out east in the Metropolitan Division? John Hines? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I got him. All right, well then, I thought that was the missing one. You you passed, how about that? (laughs) Yeah, that's (laughs) not bad. We rattled those off pretty good. I mean, yeah, you you started off with with the first four pretty quickly, then... You needed a little bit of help there, which, which you know, got you past that stage. So, overall, I, I give you a 6 out of 9 on that performance, Zach. Nice, nice. Uh, I do want to bring up, uh, since we're on the topic of switching teams and changes, looks like we have a trade. It'll be the second one I break over the last two podcasts. Oh, oh my man. goodness. Insider. Insider. We got uh, Tyler Toffoli going from the Kings to what looks like the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, wow. the, return, the return has not yet been announced. Wow. Yep. <laughs> Sorry, I had to break that to say I had back-to-backs. All right, Jeff. All, all I heard was, wow. Is that your synopsis so far? Yeah. I, I think mostly because the Kings making that trade within the division. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, Toffoli, I guess, is a, a UFA, but Vancouver going all in now, right? That's them saying we're taking a step towards – you know, either A, trying to win the division, or B, at least secure a playoff spot. 
as a top three team. Yeah, I mean, well, the Canucks are in that very tight division in the Pacific, but they're they were leading the last time I checked. So they're in a decent position to take advantage and get all these players maybe on their last year of the contract to get that surprising run in the end. Uh, it's going to take more than just a Foley, but I, I'm interested to see how Vancouver can still uh, attack this trade deadline. Yeah, go, so going into tonight, uh, Vancouver's in second place, one point behind the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, for a second, for first place in the uh, Pacific Division. So while we're uh, talking about trades, I, I had a question to ask you guys. Totally forgot to bring it up in the pre-show. Uh, I would have never guessed that Blake Coleman was worth a first-round pick. Uh, you guys? Is it not because of what he's making? Because that's what I, that's the consensus I keep hearing. I mean, reading. Yeah, he's, he's got an average I mean, annual value of like what one point eight million or something yeah, like that. He's real affordable. And, and I mean, he kills the penguins too so like thank god he's at least out of the division and hopefully tampa gets eliminated so we don't have to see him but i like <laughs> him a lot too as a bottom six guy like he's a really good pickup for tampa bay now if i'm trying to recall him correctly was he the one that scored that incredible one hand backhander against the penguins a couple years Pro- ago probably and it was probably his first goal of his career Oh, because you know that's just Pete <laughs> Penguins. That Pete Penguins, some guy I never heard of, and he just pulls off this incredible move. I just saw that deal and was, like, caught off guard. I was like, wait, a first-round pick, and they got well, a top prospect. Well, there's a condition on that pick, too, that I heard, that it's if Vancouver doesn't make the playoffs, the pick gets moved to next year. Oh, okay. Kind of like so. Like, so in reality, pick. like that pick is is probably going to be a lower half pick that could be in the twenties. But um, yeah, I mean, I mean, good on New Jersey getting the re- a big return on a guy that's only making one point eight million dollars. So is is that? Well, I mean, the Coleman trade. He was going from the Devils to the to the Lightning, correct? Yeah. Correct. Okay. I mean it. Not really confusing to me because I know the Devils had a lot of hype, maybe not as much as other teams in other leagues going into this season, you know, with acquiring Jack Hughes and uh, P.K. Subban. But do you think, you know, you get rid of Ray Shiro, you get rid of John Hines. Um, this is just them maybe trying to get even more capital for next year? I think now yeah. uh, New Jersey's kind of said, okay, we tried to do the rebuild on the fly. Clearly didn't work. Now they're going to start building around the young talent that they have, and they're going to do it the right way now of just saying, let's take two or three years. Let's build up these young kids. Let them get experience. Let's not have the expectation of, oh, we can win a cup in Jack Hughes' first year. Let's let's build this organically and just let it happen organically instead of trying to fast-track it. Yeah, I agree with that, although that Devils team had a lot of hype this year. Myself included was high on the Devils train. They they went out, obviously got Subban, had the number one pick, and got Hughes. Signed guys like Wayne Simmons and a couple other small pieces along the way. Just uh, they were an absolute train wreck. So uh, <laughs> yeah. I didn't, I didn't like their goaltending though. That's the only thing I have, I didn't like from the start. I, I liked a lot of the pieces that they got, but I mean, they Corey Schneider has just been a tra- train wreck since what 2015. Well, yeah, roughly. So. I mean, I didn't like him. And then to have a young kid like Mackenzie Blackwood, um, 
I'm sure he he might have a good career ahead of him. He's still he's still young, but um, to put that much pressure on on a young kid like that, you're you're just asking for disaster, and that's exactly what the Devils got. And I agree with that to an extent, but I also thought that you know their defense looked solid coming into this year, and it was almost like the 2016 Penguins where. It didn't matter who you had on defense or uh, who who you had net. Whoever was on defense, they weren't going to allow much to happen. And, right, uh, it's been the exact opposite. And uh, yeah, Mackenzie Blackwood has been less than ideal. Uh, pretty did didn't Keith Kincaid? Uh, he he was a free agent last year, wasn't he? But either way, they've uh, their goaltending situation hasn't been good since Corey Schneider was last good years ago. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's i think too a bit a big factor in that is pK Subban has been very underwhelming for them as well too they they're not oh, getting they're not getting pK Subban from like 2010 2011 or even 2016 pK pK Subban who's going against Sidney Crosby in the final um they're they're getting a pK Subban who something has has some injuries he's dealing with um it's been, hasn't it been rumored that he's dealing with like a back situation I saw that he's been nursing an injury, or it could be. So, um, so I, I wonder what his future is going to be if they're willing to keep him part of the near future, or maybe in the off season, um, see what kind of treatment he can get. Hopefully, he can get healthy again, and maybe move move him and get some uh, some pieces for him as well. Realistically, it's probably too much wedding planning with Lindsey Vaughn, but that's just my take. <laughs> there you go. There it is. <laughs> I mean, Zach, we need you to dive in deeper with that story to see if you can prove if that's if that's true or not. More next week. More next week. Yeah. Did you or did you not mispractice to go taste some cookies for your wedding? Because I don't blame <laughs> you, sir. Picking DJs and whatnot. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I guess you got anything else for these trades that broke recently? No, I was going to say I, I think the the last best thing we can do is talk about Jason Zucker. Yeah, so what do we what do we think of this guy this guy? Because I I missed his first game. I didn't get to see much of it. I saw about <laughs> maybe two periods of it and the consensus I got from his first game here was he looked like a guy that flew in that day and they said just go play hockey. Yes. And yes. on to- on top of that, go play hockey with Sidney Crosby, who is the most ADHD guy in the world on how the game's played. And the way he thinks the game, and you could tell he was kind of like, like there were plays he was, he was getting passes, and he's like, "Holy shit!" He just made a pass that maybe ten other people in the world can make. So, I, I mean, it, 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 do you guys disagree at all? So I will say right off the bat, I went to the game. Not a big deal, but I went to the game. Uh, got to got a nice seat above the Penguin Shoot Twice area. Got so I got. For my takes, a nice little shot at Zucker. Definitely, as you said, looked like a guy that flew in that day. Had several pucks um, bounce over his stick, or he just looked like a step off, a stride off from, you know, just being where he needs to be. Um, but that said, you're also real- you also have to realize he's playing with Sidney Crosby, who, as you said, is the best player in the world. And I guarantee guys like Miko Cueva aren't putting the puck where Sidney Crosby was for him. So I obviously... Definitely a learning curve on that first day on top of already, you know, all the crap that had to happen beforehand. Yeah, and I mean, you're getting used to, like, routines and, you know, mm-hmm. where everything's at. I mean, it's it, it's just sure. a whole new world you're going into. Um, 
And like Zach, I actually took in the Montreal game Friday night in which we saw what I think everybody anticipated Jason Zucker doing. And that's playing with Sidney Crosby, scoring a couple goals. Um, The one thing that I noticed with him playing with Sid and kind of looking as normal as we think that they'll look, um, I like Zucker, Crosby, and Simone. And I know probably a lot of people are saying, well, Simone's not a top six guy. That line just gets pucks, and they possess pucks. That's all they did against Montreal was when the puck got deep, Zucker was first guy on it. Simone dug it out, got got possession, found Sid. Sid did Sid things, and then eventually the puck on the back of the net. I mean, I, I like. I mean, I'm ready to call them the Corsi line because they're they're Corsi the roof. <laughs> well, I mean, I I'm already over Dominic Simone trying to score, but like you said, if you can move a puck effectively and just keep keep it away from the defense, then you're going to open up more opportunities to score, whether it be you know Simone on the primary or secondary assist, or even being the third guy on the pass if you're getting that if you're getting open that quickly. So I am okay with Simone being up there just for the sole fact of what we had mentioned earlier. Sidney Crosby, you keep him happy with the players that he has around him then you're going to be fine on the ice. So Dominic, if Dominic Simone can't score, but he can get other people to score, I'm okay with him staying on that line. Me and my buddies have a saying that we always used to have when you had like like a jobber player like Dominic Simone play with a superstar like Sidney Crosby. Anytime they get, get the puck, just give the puck to the good players. Let the good players do all the, all the fun mm-hmm. stuff. All you have, that's your one job. Just get it to the good players and good things will happen. That's all Dominic that's Simone has will. to do from here until June, is give the puck to the good players. I agree with pass that. It to I Will. If you, if you... Pass the ball to the Italians. From right. The pass, the ball, pass the ball to Tucker. Just like Arnold <laughs> from Hey Arnold. Just pass the ball to Tucker. <laughs> what, what a great show. No, I agree. Uh, Dom, Dominic Simone in that role is very perfect. good. He's perfect. Yeah. Um, I will say that, uh, you know, I have always kind of been anti-Dominic Simone because so many people judge him analytically. And while I I realize analytics are a big part of hockey, it just kind of seems like, you know, he, the guy could have 10 or 15 goals if he could finish. He's like the newer version of Carl Hagelin, in my opinion. Um, you know, tons of the great possession, but just can never finish. Um, but that said, you know, watching those guys, Zucker and Simone, along with Sid, play together, um, I didn't catch much of the Montreal game, but uh, what I saw Sunday and even a little bit on Friday, it, it looks promising. And this is all without Jake Gensel in the fold too. So, yeah, yeah. I think I think that's what's going to be crazy for next year because remember you have term with Zucker. So, I mm-hmm. mean, I mean the obvious choice is you take Simone off that line and Zucker becomes in in a huge upgrade over Dominic Simone with Jake Gensel and Sidney Crosby. Does anybody want to take a guess at Dominic Simone's shooting percentage on the year? It's going to be something stupid. Like, uh, but he doesn't. Every shot he misses, or every shot he takes, he misses. I'm going how to many, say. Oh, hold on. Before we guess, how many goals does he have? On seven. Seven goals. Seven. That number's got to be a single digit. I'm going to say like 7%, seven percent, seven and a half. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna take the over. I'm gonna say sixteen percent. Wow, a lot of credit, Jeff. You you were spot on seven and a half percent. Let's go. Little little attaboy right there, huh? I was gonna say when <laughs> when you said seven, I'm like think of like back in November and December. Well, not December because Sid was hurt, but October and November when Sid was putting passes on his tape on the back door and he was missing. There was one game, their Wednesday night game against the Blues, and I vividly remember Dominic Simone missing like three goals. Yeah, there was like, like three. He would have had a hat trick. And they weren't they weren't like common plays either. Like they were Sidney Crosby plays where you're just like, how the yeah. hell did he get that puck over there? And you're just like, Sidney Crosby could have had the top ten on Sports Center four times over if he would finish. At that time, Jim Rutherford was probably watching Jason Zucker highlights in the in uh, his office, just getting ready for this move. <laughs> right, but right. I just I just said sixteen because I was waiting to be stunned. So I'm glad that we actually figured out it's much lower. So before we get into the the Pens recap, because I think we kind of transferred over from Zucker to now d- focusing on Dominic Simone. Um, depending on when Cancel can play again, how's this going to shake up the line this year? Oh, that's a good question. I, I think, honestly, um, at this time, I, I, I would think that Zucker will continue to get a look with Sid. And I don't I think you give that a fair sample size all the way up until playoffs. And then you just kind of see where Gensel fits in. I It does suck, though, because Gensel did so well with, uh, with Sid go before that injury. So it's uh, it's intriguing because then you don't want to mess up the top line there. But. You saw Gensel and Simone beforehand, and it was absolutely fire. So it's a good problem to have, honestly. No, it I, is a I, good problem. I still think that that if Gensel does come back, if he comes back this year, and things go well with Zucker and Crosby, it's going to end up being like a Dupuy Kunitz situation where Sid is going to have like he's not going to demand that they they be on that line but he'll say little little subtle things to make sure that they stay stay with him on that line i think it's hard for me to present a case as to why uh zucker will continue to be on that line because i think simone is there to stay just because i don't think simone can succeed in any other line with what the Penguins have out there right now. I mean, Horkvist in the in the fourth line, especially on Sunday, is amazing, I think. But to have Simone up there in the first line trying to be more finesse and keep the puck and you know, either get the feeds from Sid and whiff on them or get some good passes <laughs> and let Sid do, and let him do what he does, I th- it's hard to present a case for Zucker to stay up there. But if this continues to succeed... I can see Gensel playing with Malkin and just seeing if you can make another powerhouse down there. So let, let me ask you this one last question. Um, if, if things are going well with Sid, Gensel comes back, what's the point of getting Jason Zucker if you're just going to put him with Gino? I mean, you you lost Gensel at first, so you're just essentially replacing him for that time being because it was such a long injury that you are looking to, all, A, look to continue to get those points during the season, and B, look for the future as well because, um, I mean, I'm pretty sure Gensel does have a contract extension in play, right? He's Yeah, five he's, years. He, yeah another five years on a cheap yeah. rate, too. 30 mil, too. Yeah. Yeah, so... 
So you you might even but, be able Mark, in the future he, to have both Gensel and Zucker on, on the same pairing with Crosby. I, and maybe Simone's just an afterthought after this year. So that's what that's what I'm thinking is why why do we have to pigeonhole where where Jason Zucker and Jake Gensel aren't the the two wingers for Sid for the next two or three years? I mean, yeah. I, don't, I don't think anyone's pigeonholing. It, it, that's a good possibility it could happen. So, um, But I think this year it's not going to happen in the playoffs unless desperate times may occur for the Pens. I, guess, I think, honestly, what I love most is that Zucker comes with contract control. Um, so naturally, like I said, it's a good problem to have. And whereas you can, you can experiment with a bunch of combinations throughout you know, the next couple of years, um, but I, I do think I, I think someone brought it up earlier that uh, Dominic Simone really isn't good anywhere else in the lineup aside from being next to Sid. Like he in a bottom six role, he is even more non-existent in terms of like shooting and whatnot than he is on the top line. And obviously, when you don't have an elite talent on that top line to keep the support going and to read some of those plays, it's uh, he's definitely way less noticeable out there. Is Dominic Simone just not Connor Sherry with analytics? Cool. That's Sherry or Sherry. Sherry, Sherry, whatever the hell his name is. But my point being, my my point being is that he's Connor Sherry with analytics. Where if you run out of a spot, he's no longer on the top line. Cut him. He's done. Right. Yeah. I mean, Buffalo. Right. Send him to Buffalo. I don't care. Send him to Siberia. I don't care. But you know, if he's if he can't adjust to a bottom six role, then He's gone. Like he, he I, I know the I know the coaching staff has this love affair because he puts up great analytics, but if it's outside of the top top six, then you know, you have, you have no use for him. I can I agree with that. All right. Pens recap, Jeff. Pens recap. I mean, we kind of went over it a little bit. Um, let me pull up the schedule here real quick. Tuesday, well, they, they fall into overtime to the Lightning, two to one. To the Lightning, yeah, not a bad game though, right? You play play yeah. Lightning to a one to a one one tie, you get a point, and uh, you end up losing two one. It happens. It was a pretty sweet goal. Who scored the winning goal in that game? Zach, Yanni Gord. Yanni Gord. I think I think the best part and the part that wasn't mentioned is that they celebrated 1980 Miracle on Ice, and both Russian players had goals had the first goal for each team. Malkin for the Pens and Sergachev for the Lightning. That made me so happy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Zach's Russian. I forgot. <laughs> Love it. Too bad an so, American could put it. So, Friday night, I I went with uh, with my buddy and his wife, and me and my gr- girlfriend went. And uh, it was French language night. Talbot doing reads. Yeah, Talbot doing reads. Like, we're, we're watching a game in Montreal where – they did like English and then a lot of gibberish, which apparently converted into what was said in English. Um, Pens won four one. Um, the one thing I took away from this game, besides what we talked about with Zucker and Crosby, um, Ilya Kovalchuk was very noticeable in that game. Very noticeable. Um, I'm interested to see what Montreal ends up doing with him at the deadline. If it's a team that takes a flyer on him. Thoughts, anyone? What was the last part? You kind of cut out on my audio side real quick. Oh, uh, I so I, I really noticed Ilya Kovalchuk in that Montreal game. Um, it looks like he's still, if 
in the right spot um, still has it. I would be interested. I, I would be interested to see what Montreal does with Kovalchuk at the uh, at the deadline. Here's my take. They're not going to make the playoffs. Uh, they have an asset who, as you said, could fit somewhere, you know, if used correctly. Um, I don't know. I feel like he's worth taking a flyer. Not for the Penguins, but someone. No, no, not for the Penguins. I mean, I've, I've heard some people say, well, he's the right shot that they're missing without Kessel, um, which I get. I just don't know where, where does he fit five on five. I, I was going to say, uh, you know, he would literally just be brought in for probably zone entries and power play other right. than that i don't i couldn't even tell you where he fits and honestly i could see being mad at him real quick on a someone blocks right. a shot shorthanded and they're going the other way and couple right. chucks in the goalie's mouth still the other way i just don't <laughs> right I love right him, but i just don't you know the penguins are built on speed and i uh, definitely don't think he fits that mold would be an incredible shot and a good uh, quarterback for the power play though yeah, yeah, for sure. Like I said, that right shot. I mean, I think everybody still remembers him when he was in Atlanta, like with that that bomb. Like he was like the original Ovechkin before. Ovechkin do you came remember? In. Do you remember when Sid took that penalty and Kovalchuk scored the winner and pointed to Sid in the box? Yeah, yeah, I remember. Absolutely that. incredible. So, so funny story about that. I went to the the home game after that happened because didn't they play a home and home or? They they played like they I had think two, two and three nights or at least at least yeah that. it was something we're doing it wasn't a home and home they had a game in between but they played Atlanta like that Saturday night or something yeah so yeah, I yeah. I had tickets to that to that game and like people and I was sitting in like like section E like that that like not the top balcony but like that middle balcony yeah on the end zones and there was like some Yinzer behind me I'll never forget this I think I was like. 13 at the time and you know Atlanta comes out to to take the ice before the national anthem and everything and they get like the boo or whatever which is kind of lighthearted because the pens are bad and mm. and this old yens are behind me I'll never forget it just yells man I hope somebody puts that Russian on his ass pointing it across <laughs> me like that like just Real Yenzer just like threw it out there, and I'm just like, wow, this guy really doesn't like him for pointing at Sid. And like at the time, like like being that young, you don't really get the yeah. whole like unwritten rules and stuff. But I just I'll never forget that like how big of a deal like people that were older than me made that he like literally turned around and pointed. I thought it was awesome that like yeah, you oh. took a penalty and I made you pay for it. Like I, I'm making you feel so stupid right now because you took a dumb penalty, which Sid took a yeah. ton of those his rookie year, and he just turns around and points right at him. It was literally though half the ammunition that away team fans have about Crosby is, is whining and his antics, and and I honestly thought they were pretty right. And I mean, obviously he's changed over the years as he's matured, but you know that was a teaching moment from Kovalchuk right there, like. You know, those are one of the moments I remember in history. Especially uh, especially that Atlanta power play, too. Remember how lethal they were? I'm trying to think of some other names that were on that. Like uh, Slava Kozlov was Slava on Slava Kozlov. Um, I'm trying to think who their quarterback was. Was Danny Healy on, the, on that team? No, I think that's... I think we missed him by Ottawa. a year or two. I think he was oh, in Ottawa. Okay. Yeah, that, I think by then... The Hosa trade went through it. Marion Hosa, I think, was on that power play too. Hosa for sure, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, there it was like a lethal power play, but it always ended up being the same thing every time they worked the top of the umbrella, and then eventually 
they got like that top guy that was covering the, the top point to shift one way, and that opened the seam across the box to go to Kovalchuk for the one-timer. Happened every time. I, I do remember watching some of those goals from back in the day. Last thing I'll say about this is I, I believe that, that uh, Kovalchuk pointing at the box was also the same game that uh, Matt Cook got absolutely annihil- annihilated by Evander Kane. Is that right? I, I no, remember- I think it was a couple years later because uh, the, the point was Crosby's rookie year, and they didn't Cro- have Oh, Matt okay. Cook. Yeah. Jeez, okay. I, I still seem to remember that powder blue jersey. Maybe that's what I was thinking of. Yeah, you, yeah you're probably remembering the jersey for sure. Cool, Do you remember cool. too? So, sorry to bring up Atlanta, but I, I like reminiscing about old teams and little details. Do you remember yeah. how anno- annoying their goal horn was? I do remember their goal they, horn. They I, would like they would like lay on it, and then like music would start playing, and then they'd like hit it like like a pulse on this, like a pulse on a food processor processor, and yeah. it'd be like, eh, 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 and it's like, all right, enough. <laughs> Yeah, no, their goal horn up there, uh, from what I remember, is second most annoying to only Edmonton's now. It just sounds like, uh, well, I guess Washington's is pretty annoying, too, with it sounds like every first responder's horn going off at the same time. (laughs) But, uh, uh, yeah, no, I remember that being very annoying back in the day. Right. So so moving on to our last game, uh, Detroit, uh, doing Detroit things, losing big. Um, The Pens beat them 5-1. Increase that goal differential that got over the century mark on Sunday. Um, Zach, do you have much on that? Uh, no, the Red Wings are bad. The Penguins should have won that game, and by the margin that they did, if not more. Yeah, so uh, it was nice to see that Patrick Hornquist got uh, two goals. Should have had a hat trick on uh, Sunday. I guess they gave the last goal to Sam Lafferty, uh, but he didn't find that out until after the game. But uh, yeah, the Penguins did what they normally do against the Red Wings, just beat the holy hell out of them. So that was fun. <laughs> yeah, so that yeah, definitely a good way to wrap that up. It seemed like nobody came out with injuries or anything like that, which you always worry about in this playoff games. Just kind of stupid little little injuries like a groin pull or something like that. So good to see everybody came out healthy. Speaking of yeah. which, if anything, they'll be getting Dominic Cahoon back soon. Yeah, there's another name like the that's the thing, like, this team is just so deep. It's just crazy that, like, they're, they're deep now, but they're still getting guys back, too. Like, Brian Dumoulin still isn't even back yet, let alone skating. Nick, Will Brian Dumoulin too. ever return, though? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he oh, was supposed yeah, to start skating. Down, I'm finally, finally back, guys. Sorry for, my, sorry for my absence there for the last, like, ten minutes. <laughs> oh, I just... I just figured we were talking so much hockey that we confused you. I, I mean, there, <laughs> there was the possibility of that, but I also enjoy just letting you two go at it because I get my time in baseball. So it, it doesn't really bother me too much. <laughs> I, I completely respect that because I take a back seat when it comes to baseball. Um, so what else do we have to talk about hockey? Oh, yeah. Let me mention that I got my goalie predictions right last week for the most part. Um, well, I, I said they'd probably go Murray on Sunday. Uh, Jeff, you you said they went uh, to with Yari on Saturday, uh, Friday against the Canadians. Yeah, they went. Uh, what was the game before that? That was against the Lightning in overtime, and that, they went uh, with Tristan Jari that game. Uh, no, they so, went. Yeah. They, yeah, they, they went, went with Murray. Murray that they they Murray. went Murray. Murray. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. So that leaves us this upcoming week, um, where they have a home and home against the Leafs with a day in between. They'll be in Pittsburgh tomorrow, uh, and then in Toronto on Thursday. 
then Buffalo for a Saturday afternoon matchup, uh, and then uh, Sunday against the Caps on NBC again. So essentially four games over the next six days. What are our thoughts? I think think he goes Jari, or sorry, I think he goes Murray, Jari, Jari, Murray. I I can see that. So Jari right. Jari goes back to back with Toronto Buffalo, Murray bookends Toronto Washington. I'm gonna have, I'm gonna be the opposite here, or maybe not the complete opposite. I'm gonna say that they're going to alternate each game, starting with Jari, then Murray, then Jari, then Murray. Hmm. I don't think that's a bad prediction either. I. I'm trying to think how I would do it. So realistically, uh, Tristan Jari helped Mike helped Mike Babcock get fired the last time these two teams met. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they went Jari tomorrow, and then they go Murray on Thursday, um, Saturday afternoon against Buffalo. It's uh, difficult because Murray played so well against Washington. So I will assume Tristan Jari will get to start that game, and then you go Murray on Sunday for NBC. Okay, so you're were you just basically agreeing with me there? I don't like to say the words agreeing with you, but I think so. That's fair. I, I understand. So, I mean, it, it took a while for that message to get to my, my homeland anyway during this conversation. So, <laughs> I appreciate uh, let's... Anything yeah, else? So... Anything else for, for hockey? Like, I know that uh, I think before the show I mentioned Evander Kane likes to complain about a lot of stuff now. Yeah, I turned into a big-time Evander Kane fan, uh, honestly. I wasn't the biggest <laughs> fan of his until he uh, came out against the league and pretty much uh, w- w- he was involved in an incident over the weekend, right, with an elbow or something like that. It was something that was involving him where he went after the uh, officiating. So, yeah, uh, I saw he got suspended. I didn't see what it was for, though. Yeah, so I mean, it seemed like he's been on the, on the trail uh, basically – pointing out the flaws of the NHL and how they suspend players repeatedly. I mean, he's got the downtime now with his three-game suspension, so what else are you going to do during that time whenever you're not playing? You might as well point out the flaws of the league that you play in. So I I give him kudos. And he absolutely did. He uh, tweeted back on February 15th. uh, He did this in one of those note apps. He said, the fact that the NHL Department of Player Safety, headed by George Perez, continue to pick and choose who and what they suspend is ridiculous. There have been countless incidents of the same nature through this season and past seasons that have gone undisciplined or fined. No one person can tell you what is or isn't a suspension in today's game. It's become a complete guess. There is a major lack of consistency with the NHL Department of Player Safety. A completely flawed, all caps, system in so many ways. From suspensions to appeal rights, it's baffling to me how we as players agreed to this. You can't continue to give some players a pass and throw some... Uh, throw the book at others there has been an outside third party making these decisions or there has to be an outside third party making these decisions to remove the bias that transpires in this department headed by george paris none of it makes any sense so yeah he uh definitely didn't hold back and that said the league is apparently looking into further actions against him <laughs> so i'm i'm just confused as to how a player who may or may not have warranted a suspension maybe not of that length but you know, a game tops maybe um, 
can go out and blaze a trail with firing at his own league and they're going to discipline him even further because he's pointing out their flaws. This even shows more of the flaws that the NHL has, worrying more about Evander Kane and what they're saying about this flawed system than Zach Cassian, you know, trying to slit someone's throat by stepping on them with their with his skate and getting seven games. I don't get it. This might be a controversial take, and I'm not sure how these processes work, but where's the Players Association on this? You would think that they'd go to bat for him, um, albeit he doesn't have the uh, cleanest record of, you know, throughout his career. But, I mean, that said, he's uh, sticking up for many players who probably have the same feeling in mind, and you would just kind of think that he'd be uh, backed by a bigger support system, whether that be players or, you know, just officials on the uh, association. Aren't suspensions, though, like really – that's gonna be dicey for the for the PA though, right? We're gonna back the guy that just hurt one of our own guys. Yeah, I agree. I guess it's trying to like, pick uh, pick your battles here. Like, do you do you, do you feel like if it's an overwhelming thing that they, that you feel the system isn't fair? Then I guess voicing your opinion. I think it's almost like it, it's not like thinking that the other player is soft or whatnot or or anything like that, or even that you have a disagreement with another player. It's just coming together on the, the system as a whole. I mean, I, sometimes I, think it, even, yeah. I think it um, shows how much passion that Evander Kane has for the game, whether or not he has the cleanest record or not. I think he's owning up to ha- like having a suspension. I just think he disagreed with the length of games that he got for what he did in comparison to what other players have done and maybe have got less or even zero games to their name so i'd we've talked about it before jeff and i before you were on the show like months ago when certain players make certain plays they're going to get based off their record sometimes that can be correct and sometimes that's that's flawed as well so we could maybe say that evander kane was a victim of his past record but he's now i don't know maybe pissed off about it and Showing that, you know, like I said, maybe he did warrant it, but he's going to show that was a mistake. This was a mistake. That was a huge mistake. It's kind of like the ending of the of the movie Waiting, where you're not really going to say what the guy was saying on this show uh, out loud. But it's basically, you know, a censored word in you after that to everyone. I mean, I, I agree. I, I guess my point is, if you know you're going to you know, go the next level on a hit that you probably shouldn't make. You should probably have an idea of what, what the suspension or what, what's going to come of it. And I feel like his also his thought process is players don't know now the same hit because the guy had a record is four or five games for that guy. Whereas it's someone who's never had a record or maybe just been fine. And it's one or two, and that's just a slap on the wrist. And I do believe like Matt Cook was an example that players change their game over time. Whether that be good or bad, that's a whole different argument. But, you know, I think he's right with consistency in terms of what warrants what and how they go about doing this. And I also think that injury factors in way too much on these decisions where it's like, I don't know, if it's a bad hit, it's a bad hit. I don't think injury should add more or less games to that. And that might be controversial, but I just feel like it's too hard to differentiate the games based on the injury. Yeah, I think, though, it's it's tough, though, because... If a guy doesn't get hurt, 
like who was wasn't it Patrick Kane that got that got hurt? Didn't he like he like broke his collarbone or something? And it was like a real like innocent play, but the guy ended up getting suspended because like it was considered a dangerous play and he got hurt. Do you remember? Well, do you remember this? this I all? vaguely was, remember Kane breaking his collarbone. I, I don't remember the hit. It was like, yeah, it was like one play. of. It was like one of those where it was like a light push from the back. Like it wasn't like the guy like buried him from behind, but he like pushed on like the lower part of his back and he like went in and that's how he broke his collarbone. And the guy ends up getting suspended because it's Patrick Kane and he broke his collarbone on the play where if he gets right back up, I bet it's just, it might be a two minute minor for boarding and that's it. Or so if it's th- Michael Froley and not Patrick Kane, it's just nothing. And it's, right. ah, your collarbone's or, broken. Right, yeah. Oh, that's a tough break. You caught a rut or something. Yeah, So, exactly. I mean, I, 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 that's why I kind of I do agree with Evander Kane. It's kind of like, you know, sometimes you, you, you're you looking at who it is and sometimes you're not. And there's times that they do protect the stars and times that they don't. It's just really inconsistent by the league. And I think honestly, if it was me, the first thing I would I would do is um, is take George Perez out of player safety and put a guy like Paul Correa there, or somebody who has been on the other side of player safety that isn't um, for Not lack of a better word, out. right? Yeah, the, that has dealt with the receiving end of of um, suspend of guys making suspendable hits, so. But that, yeah, it'd be that, nice that to get the other perspective be. in there. Right, right. So I guess after we go off on Evander Kane and the whole uh, problem with the officiating and consistency, I do think we need to end our hockey talk on, on a good note and just kind of talk about, although the Jay Bowmeister situation sucked, what a good job the first responders did and yes. how everything ended up working out. Yeah, yeah. Um, just great work by, by both staffs of Anaheim and St. Louis, making sure he was taken care of. Um, you know, you see what that, what happens there, and um, I believe it was what Alex Petrangelo, who was right next to him when he when he ended up going down, and um, you know to see a teammate like that who's in a in a situation like that, and the fir- the first responders being able to get to him quickly and to attend to him as quickly as possible, and um, you know, it definitely hats off to those people because. Um, they don't. They don't know when they're going to be called upon. It's it's a hundred percent reactive, and um, to be able to react in a situation and be calm, cool, and collected, and make sure that person's taken care of, it's um, it's definitely something that is uh, definitely just. It, it kind of takes your mind away because I know for myself, I don't know how I would react. I would probably be in more shock than anything. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't imagine being on the bench and all of a sudden you have one of your teammates almost dying mm. essentially, you know, going through, going through a cardiac episode like that. Like, I mean, we've played sports, we've seen injuries where, you know, we worry about the the player, or our friend or whatever on the field growing up, but you, you kind of have a sense that they're, they're eventually going to be okay. But in this situation, this, this is, you know, you got to be right there and re- immediately responsive and know what to do so no you can't say enough about first responders and everyone else who kind of served the community for us and you know we wish 
Jay Bomeister like the, the speediest recovery because I know just like any hockey player, I guarantee he wants to be back on that ice ready to go with his with his boys. So um yeah, I mean I, I kinda just want to give an early MVP to, you know, Bomeister and the first first uh responders, but we can wait for that later. And like, you know, I Obviously, if Jay Bowmeister never plays again in the NHL, which it seems to be that way after such a serious incident, uh, at least he went out winning the cup with the Blues last year. So, I mean, uh, while the situation sucks, you know, good on the first responders, and he had a hell of a career. So Now, I mean, who was the, the Dallas Stars player a couple years ago that went down? Rich Peverly. Yep. Yeah, and, and he he didn't play since, right? No, I don't uh, think so. I don't believe so. so. Yeah, I, I know that he was... Well, I believe he was quoted saying he wanted to get back on the ice, and that was a big no-no. But uh, yeah. I mean, I I always appreciate the the drive and you know the the love of what all these NHL players do when like that small sample size go through what they go through. But it just seems like nothing is going to stop them, no matter what. Even if their body's failing out on them, they still want to be out there. The athlete mentality is absolutely incredible, and I don't mean to be a please like my sport kind of guy, but hockey players are a different kind of breed too. So, for sure, absolutely, I I agree with that a lot. So, I, I think that's just a good way to end hockey talk is mm-hmm. with the yeah. the Easter situation and and all of that. Not a ton to go in depth about with baseball, but. We, we can just focus on one major thing and kind of trickle down from that. Rob Manfred is bad at his job. Yikes. Let's just, let's just start right there, everyone. Um, so there's going to be a lot of backlash um, no matter what he did. Or I should have worded that correctly. We all knew that, or he should have known that there was going to be a ton of backlash no matter what he did for the scandal that the Houston Astros put on Um, from what Jeff and I originally perceived it as was the Yankees and other teams just being mad that the Astros were just one step ahead of them to the point where the Astros were 10 steps ahead and actually full blown cheating. And this is the improper way to do it because it's a much different story from picking up science at second base and only having that guy be able to tell you the batter what's coming next than to have a live feed in the dugout and banging on a trash can or it's not proven yet, allegedly having buzzers strapped onto your chest and you get that buzz when you know an off-speed pitch is coming. So before we go any further, um, what, what can we take away from how... All of this has perceived before we go into any like player quotes from teams outside of the Astros to any certain players inside the Astros organization. Like what what is one or two words that you can describe all of this with the Astros right now? Rob Manfred mishandled one word. Beautiful. Zach, you got one? Uh, yeah, I would say mishandled, too. Um and I'll reserve my comments until we delve further into it. And I, I would say that I'm, I'm trying to be different here because Jeff had a had a beautiful what, one word, just like drop the mic. Shocker. Right? <laughs> Shocker. Um, but I would just say um, horrendously, um, horrendously 
punished. I'm trying to not use mishandle because it's so beautiful. So here's another one for you. How about coddled? A little bit, yeah, yeah because it it shows how the Astros kind of got away pretty easily, or at least the players that were involved with it. Um, but let's let's do. We want to start with players outside of the Houston organization and their comments, or do we just want to start inside Houston first? I let's think start. we should start inside and then work our way out. Yeah. Okay, so really the only thing I have from in Houston, Carlos Correa had a pretty in-depth interview with Ken Rosenthal trying to defend his players and his teammates and going from there and uh, kind of rebuttaling other statements from players like Cody Bellinger and et cetera. And it seemed that like Carlos Correa was... He said, all right, yeah, you know, we cheated in 2017, all right? There were players that were not about it, and then he went into Jose Altuve saying that, I guess Altuve always made it a big scene that if anyone used a trash can with him, he would be really pissed off and did not and did not like that. Um, so just watching that, it, it makes me want to believe Carlos Correa, but it's hard for me to actually go along with what he's trying to say because this seemed really staged. You can find this on YouTube because that's how I found it, or I, I found it on Twitter. I might be able to share it on the Icy Takes Twitter page, but um, it just seemed really staged with everything that Carlos Correa was saying. Like It took him a while to practice this with Jose Altuve and all the other players on how this was going to be approached. He said there was nothing in 2018 and there was nothing in 2019. So when Ken Rosenthal brought up the buzzers being used in 2019, allegedly, and why Jose Altuve didn't want his jersey ripped off, this was the best part of this entire seven-minute-plus interview. It was Carlos Correa had claimed that earlier in the year that Altuve hit a walk-off home run, and after hitting home plate, Correa ripped off his jersey, and Altuve gets home, and apparently his wife didn't like how Carlos Correa ripped off his jersey. He thought that was like, you know, bar- let's just use the word barbaric. I don't think that's the word she used. And so, you know, fast forward to the ALCS, game six in the bottom of the ninth, and you're tied, and Altuve rocks a slider all the way to left field, I believe, on a 2-1 count. And as he's running toward home plate, you don't see it when it happens at first. But when you slow it down and just look at Altuve, he's pointing to his jersey and holding the buttons in the middle saying, don't like, don't rip it off or somewhere along the lines of that. So Correa said, because of that earlier incident, is that A, Altuve's wife didn't want his jersey ripped off, and that could have been him, which it wasn't, trying to make sure that he wants his wife to be happy. And the best part was that Correa said, he had an ugly, horribly looking, unfinished collarbone tattoo. And I just thought that was the best part of it all. Because some of the greatest, finest works that haven't been finished was one of Mozart's symphonies. And now we have Jose Altuve's collarbone tattoo to add to that. It's just one of the greatest mysteries of all time. So I'm going to shut up here a little bit. Just from Carlos Correa helplessly defending a teammate like that. What do you guys get from this? 
Jeff, do you uh, want to go since you're the avid baseball guy? Yeah, Carlos Correa, Correa just needs to shut up because, dude, the whole this whole tattoo and his wife, like the the most more the most absurd thing is that his wife's telling him that he can't tear off his jersey. Like, how absurd is that? Like that I I can't wrap my mind around it that a pro athlete's wife is upset that he had his jersey ripped off because he hit a walk-off home run or, or, or had a game-winning hit. That's just stupid. Number two, the unfinished tattoo. Um, does he not wear, like, some kind of, um, like, Under Armour underneath his jersey or anything or, like, that Nike Pro Combat shirt underneath? I mean, I... I yes or no? I, don't know. I, I would don't. have to... Look- <laughs> I don't tend to follow what athletes wear underneath, but you would expect him to wear something like that. But like you can see, like you, like the the little like Nike logo, like right at his, um, like right below his his neckline almost. And I don't, I don't know. I just this is just so dumb. Like the Astros really just need to shut the hell up, really, more than anything, because the more you keep talking about it, the more tensions again brought to you, and the more. The more you keep talking about, the more people don't believe you. So the last thing I'll say about Carlos Correa is you just need to shut up and don't talk to the media. Je- or yeah. not, not Jeff Zach. Do you have anything to uh, go along with that? Uh, I'm going to echo those sentiments. Carlos Correa is a clown. Jose Altuve is a clown. Uh, the biggest clown, I think, is Dusty Baker. Um you know, saying now, I mean, this story seems to unravel a little bit more every day versus who knew what and how long they've known and, and what what's being said in the aftermath. And apparently Dusty Baker uh, said that there should be severe punishments for Astros players that get hit, um, you know, this season and already talking about retaliation towards the team. And it's like, you know, I get that you're a new manager there just taking over following that. But, uh, you know, I, I think just the way the damage control has been, you know, someone that you know, from a PR perspective, it's been an absolute nightmare. And uh, yeah, Carlos Correa should absolutely shut up. Jose Altuve is a punk. And just the way they've handled everything is just piss poor. It's, it's amazing that we ha- we had Jose Altuve a couple years ago coming up and being the star of this horrible franchise at the time, um, turning into what appeared to be like a, a, a legendary player and, you know, swings a bat almost as big as he is in height. Um to now just being looked down upon literally and figuratively. Um, and <laughs> it's, it's just mind blowing to see where all of this has taken us. So now let's kind of dive into the lack of punishment as we could, I could finally fully understand the lack of punishment that the Astros did receive where you receive a lot of revenue whenever you win a world series or you win a championship of any kind. So $5 million, even though it's, it's really not a lot. Uh, I think that was probably the fairest thing that that could, that did happen to them because that was the max fine that they could receive. Um, losing draft picks. Baseball is a really deep draft. You get hurt in the early couple rounds, losing first and second for the next two years, but it's not totally going to affect you in the long run. If you already have a set, um, amount of players set up in your in your pool of minor leaguers. And then having, uh, what was it, A.J. Hench and uh, 
Jeffrey Lunau suspended a year. They eventually got fired because I, th- I think this is Jim Crane's way of keeping PR safe there by letting them go. But uh, they got one year suspension. So I don't expect them to get more jobs in baseball, but they sure they certainly can after this full calendar year. Um, and that was it. I mean, there's been no punishment for the players. And now Rob Manfred has basically been stated that he didn't think that he had to hand out punishment for players or, you know, be like judge, jury, executioner, kind of like Roger Goodell was in the NFL. So is this Rob Manfred trying to basically say, let's let this one go. I already did my part here. Let's shut up about it. Because this, this seems like he's trying to get away from this situation that, you know, as Jeff beautifully worded, he mishandled. Well, apparently... Did he... Re- Go ahead, Zach. Sorry. I was going to say, well, apparently he, uh, from what I was reading earlier today, he got pissed that an email leaked out to the media about him, um, you know, knowing about this beforehand and like, you know, some of the other occurrences of this. So I would think as a commissioner, this is something you'd want to go out to the public so that you can address this and you can deal with it. So if anything, being pissed off that, you know, the media got a hold of it for doing their jobs, I mean, just kind of shows you what how he's going to handle these kind of situations moving forward. And I definitely don't think this is the last you're going to hear of this for a long time. Yeah. I mean, it's just crazy that for him to come out and say, I've already done my job. Did you really do your job, Rob Manfred? Because you could have put this all away by just saying, we're going to punish the players. We're going to punish the organization. What we, what we found is what we found and give them a punishment. Just give them any kind of punishment because right now you have 29 other teams in the league that think you, they did it. And and no one has been able to prove that they haven't. And I just think that for these allegations to come out and the investigation that's been done and, and it seems like, you know, that the – that what has been said that has been done was done, and the only people saying that it hasn't is Houston Astros, and they keep talking and talking and talking about it. They won't. You you don't hear these guys saying, you know, we're just worried about 2020, or we're worried about the next season ahead of us. We're put, we've put the past behind us. Um, I, I I just think he he hasn't done his job as a commissioner, and for all this stuff that that he keeps coming out and saying, like, he wants to get past it, get past it. Um, you, you know, the commissioner's office puts so much on the players when they went through the, the steroid issues in the early 2000s and stuff. Um, it's, I, I kind of look at this as a little bit of karma for, for the, uh, the offices of Major League Baseball. So I'm still trying to find any reason to believe that this title should be vacated from the Astros, but everything about what I believe in sports is that whether you did get caught or did not. So in this instance, the Astros eventually did get caught. You still won the world series. Um, So can you guys try to change my mind? as to, yes, this title should be vacated by the Astros and there should be no champion? Or do you think it, it's still fair 
to let them have this championship. It doesn't matter. Yeah. And realistically, I I think uh, this has only scratched the surface between some of the things that I believe are wrong with baseball. And I, I don't know how deep this even goes. But that said, I don't think this really deters anyone from cheating in the future. I think the Astros just, like I have said before, just got caught. Um, but I don't think stripping the title is exactly going to do anything, honestly, one way or the yeah. other. And and the only reason I bring that up is because we've seen this happen in other sports, and I've just been confused as to what is the purpose of doing that in the first place. What is done mm-hmm. has already been done. You can't just change the outcomes of as to what has already happened, unless it's Patrick Hornquist getting a hat trick. Um, <laughs> so, like that, that's where I'm struggling. That I think the Astros deserve a lot more after I, you know, I slowly take this all in. But I still don't think removing a title from anyone who ever cheats is does does justice. If if that's what I'm trying to get at. No, but you know what? I think something could be said if you you told everybody on that 25 man roster who um, who does know about it or what the investigation comes out to who did know about it. Um, giving them a year suspension simple as that i think everybody would be perfectly fine with that and make the astros essentially rebuild their 25 man roster yeah, be a yeah. punishment i wouldn't mind seeing just a, a complete minor league team on the field for one year competing with all right. these major league guys right like the pirates of- now <laughs> <laughs> no i i meant eh, no you're right <laughs> <laughs> Well, I will say this, though. I, I, I think that um, as awful as the situation has been, none of the players' ownership, including Jim Crane, have helped their cause. They have definitely um, made this worse, worse on themselves by either some of the answers they've had or the lack of accountability that they are showing during their answers. Um, you know, so I definitely I, I think had they left it alone and I mean, it did need to be addressed at some point, but I think that some of the details and excuses they could they could just ref- say no comment to have just drastically made this worse. Well, and think about it. Going into spring training, you get all these reporters going in, kind of asking questions, the big hot stories that happened in the offseason. This was the big story that happened. You have, like, from at least, I would say from MLB.com, 50 reporters going and trying to find answers to whatever teams they want to go to. I'm pretty sure over 40 of them went to Houston to try to find out more uh, about this story. And like only like three went to Washington to see, you know what the champions did in the off season to try to improve their chances to win this year. So do you think all this media attention is also hurting them in, in PR because they're just getting blasted left and right by all these questions and just can't avoid it? Uh, yeah, but it, but I mean, these guys. You're telling me these guys have always given up, a, given a straight up answer to a reporter, and they've never cliched their way out of any any uh, any press conference or interview. No. Yeah, I don't think. Uh, I, I, there's definitely extra media attention there, and they're asking the questions that they should. That said, I mean, I don't think this will really deter them from you know their season or anything that they're they're supposed to say. They. I just don't think they're handling the whole thing well at all. A couple other things. I just want to get into quick little things about what other players have said about the the Astros and then kind of wrap it up here unless you guys got anything else for baseball. But, you know, 
Justin Turner has come out to say stuff that the only thing that's devaluing the the trophy that they all play for at the end of the year is that commissioner is in it because they play for the commissioner's trophy. Um, and Turner also saying that Rob Manfred is uh, kind of out of touch with the league. Um, it goes more into detail saying, calling the World Series trophy a piece of metal, I don't know if the commissioner has won anything in his life. Maybe he hasn't. But the reason every guy in this room is working out all offseason and showing up to camp early and putting in all the time and effort is, to, is specifically for that trophy, which is, by the way, called the commissioner's trophy. For him to devalue it the way he did yesterday just tells me how out of touch he is with the players in this game. At this point, the only thing devaluing that trophy is that it says commissioner on it. So I guess in that end of the quote from Rob Manfred just kind of shooting himself in the foot saying that they just play for a piece of metal in the end of the year. I mean, is it just a piece of metal for the NHL that they're going for, guys? Or is that the, the Stanley Cup? Oh, God. <laughs> Stanley Cup greatest trophy in sports. Yeah. So. For sure. Um, and then we have also Mike Trout, of uh, the team in right beside the Dodgers, or wherever they're at now. What do we call them, Jeff? Like the California or uh, the County. California, the Cal, no, the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim of Orange County of California. Yeah, I yes. think that's it. Yeah. Um, Mike Trout saying they cheated. I don't agree with the punishment. I lost respect for some of those guys. And and something plain and simple as that can kind of cut cut at you as another player. Also saying going up to the plate knowing what's coming, that would be a lot of fun, he said. So this guy, who is a three-time AL MVP, has been voted by MLB.com as the best player in baseball seven of the last eight times in, in the last eight years since 2013. Um, I mean, it kind of speaks volumes a little bit, just as something simple as that from a player who's regarded as being one of the best of all time. Would you agree? And very soft spoken with little to no personality. At least that's what he, uh, you know, gets knocked for. Except um, whenever so he does this, the weather. That's true. That's true. I did see a couple of those. But, but that said, you know, for someone as prolific as Trout with as quote unquote dry personality to say that uh, should say a lot about this scandal and just overall it's impact in the baseball world. Uh, Jeff, do you ever see this story going away before opening day? No, like, I, I hope, I hope the media just hammers this. I hope they hammer it till, till, till the world series. And, and we just keep hearing about it, hearing about it and hearing about it because I still absolutely agree that this is just, Karma coming back on the front off the front offices of Major League Baseball for what they did to the players that that have saved this game back in 1999 or 98 when Sosa and McGuire were hitting all those home runs and they they did a whole attack on players that were doing steroids back then they that saved the game they attacked those players and now for them to mishandle this is just one big. Massive karma coming back on the commissioner's office. And the last thing I'll say, too, for him to come out and say, and again, I, I guess he has to because it's a commissioner, but to say there's going to be harsh punishments for guys that are going to throw at the Astros or whatever teams had planned for what the Astros were doing for cheating for how they were going to retaliate, I hope those guys get hit. 
And you know what? I, 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 I hope those guys take those punishments willingly and say, you know what? It's worth it because you know what? You, you killed the game because a lot of people now are wondering if, if baseball is really a wholesome sport that is as true to value as what we're seeing with our own eyes. Hey, I mean, as long as those pitchers actually hit the hit the players that they're targeting, unlike Kevin Gosman, maybe they'll no, actually stop it. <laughs> All right. Hey, uh, real quick, before we go to MVP, I do have one more thing. I saw this on Twitter. I think yesterday or Saturday. Um, did you guys happen to catch the uh, the projections that MLB uh, had for the standings? Did you catch uh, these? Uh, oh, here we go. I, I did not. These, Zach, these are so bad. I'm going to read from the AL East <laughs> all the way over to the NL West and just listen how bad these are, okay? They have Ready. they have the New York Yankees winning the, the AL East, which that sounds yeah, right, correct? Absolutely yeah. terrible. They have their record being 99 and 63. Under 100 wow. wins for the New York Yankees this year. I think they're over yeah. under was set at like 104. I think it's one and one and a half. I definitely have no. Yeah, like they're they're going to win 105 games this year. Easy. Uh, They have the Tampa Bay Rays winning 87 games. The Red Sox 85. Nope. Um, Mm -hmm. Toronto winning 77. Baltimore 63. LOL. You suck. Um, That's the over for Baltimore too. 63. It's like lower than that. They hit the over on this projection. Yeah. See, that's. Give wow. them too much credit. Too much credit. Um, the Minnesota Twins, this is the AL Central, 93 wins. The Indians, 86. White Sox, 83. Detroit, LOL, you suck, 69. Nice. Um, nice. And there's a lot we got We got in there, one, huh? Um, and Kansas City, 68. You guys really suck. Um, in the AL West, they have the Houston Astros. Everybody hates them. 98 wins. Uh, the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim of Orange County of of California, 87 wins. The Oakland A's, 85. Texas, 73. Seattle, LOL, you suck, 66. This is just a Jeff, like, kind of pulling, like, an Evander Kane. Like, are these not absurd? (laughs) Like, I I can't believe they they gave the Yankees under 100. Um, I think the Indians are way too high. They sold off like half their rotation. And then you're going to say they're an 86 win ball club. uh, I mean, you look at the bottom two teams in that division with the Tigers and Kansas city, you can get a decent chunk of wins there, which they have done the last couple of years. Um, the Yankees can easily break a hundred wins. So, but with an over under of one Oh one, it's not that far off their projection on the over under range they're just saying i don't know like i want to know how they have these wins and losses separated to have the the records that they're showing right now that's what i want to see yeah right right now here's now here's where it gets absurd and this is what really set me off when i saw these the national league east listen to this (laughs) just joke of projections that they put out the New York Mets, they have projected to win the National League East with 88 wins. 88 wow. wins. Wow. You're defending World better. Series. You're defending World Series champions in second place with 87 wins. Okay. Third place. 
third place, the two-time, two-time defending division champs, the Atlanta Braves, they have them one game, or I'm sorry, two games over 500. Two games over 500 for what some people call the most exciting team in the National League. Are you kidding me, uh, MLB.com, with your, with your projections? Well, via so, baseball pro- prospectus. Prospectus, whoever, they, whoever the hell they are. Philadelphia Phillies, 77 wins. The Miami Marlins, 71 wins. Are we, do you guys want to talk about this one at all? Because this is just so mangled. The Mets are just awful. I, I just don't get where they're getting 88 wins for the Mets this year. Yeah, they might have mixed I, up the, the Braves and Mets. Yeah, like I, like I'm good with Washington being around 87 to 90 wins, but I mean Atlanta at 83, and they're bringing back pretty much the same lineup. Just flop out the uh, Donaldson and Azuna. Like are, I just don't get it. Like what are what are they not seeing? I think I'm more mad about the Marlins having 71 wins. Yeah, it seems about 70 too many. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> they're good for one against the Pirates, but. I, so, I can see this division being competitive for the first couple months, like up until you get into August, because I think the Phillies have a have a chance to redeem themselves, but maybe not win the division just because there's still some holes there. Joe Girardi should be able to help them out. The Braves are in position to win this division again. The Nationals are still a threat to just come up from behind like they did last year in that wild card spot. And say what you want about the Mets. They're... They fought at, they towards stink. the end of the year. They fought towards the end of the year. I'm not they saying they're. Stink. I'm not saying they're going to make the playoffs this year, but you, you, they get some sneaky wins in this year. You'll see. Nah, stop it. You just like Pete Alonso because you bet that he would win rookie of the year. That's, That's, the, That's the only boy. reason you like that team. And you know what? That team stinks. Mm-hmm. All right, moving on. Speaking of teams that stink, let's go to the National League Central. Uh, they have the Cincinnati Reds winning 86 games this year, which is going to be enough to win the National League Central. Dark horse. <laughs> okay. Chicago Cubs at 85 wins. The St. Louis Cardinals finishing two games under 500, or one game under 500. I'm sorry. One game under 500 at 80 and 82. Um, the Milwaukee Brewers falling off at 79 and 83. And Dave's Pittsburgh Pri- Pirates, want want 70 and 92. I think the only one they, I think the only, the only one that they got right there is the Pirates being seventy and ninety-two. Now I think they got the the last two teams correct for sure. I think the Brewers are set for a big fall off. Um, It's going to be really tough for the Reds to live up to the expectations that everyone's building for them, just based off what they've brought up in their farm system. So with the division still kind of being up for grabs because the Cardinals. I think are still the better team out of everyone and the Cubs still have the talent that they've had, but without Joe Madden, we'll see where it takes them this year. Um, the Reds have that dark. Well, hold on, hold on. Rewind, rewind, rewind. Uh, that's not just Joe Madden. That's your boy, Joe Madden. <laughs> yeah. Your boy, Joe Madden. So like I said, I'm, I would not be surprised if, well, the records. Yes. I'd be surprised. I would not be surprised if that's how the standings look at the end of the year going into October. I'll throw I'll throw a take out there. I bet I bet the Brewers 
don't finish in fourth place in that division. Pirates lose 100 games. Yeah, sure. they, de- they, definitely, <laughs> they definitely put eight wins too many for the Pirates. Uh, and then just to wrap this up off this little rant that I had, uh, the National League West, the L.A. Dodgers, they have winning 103 games this year. Uh, San Diego, 79 wins. Arizona, 79 wins. Colorado, 77. And San Francisco, you guys really suck at 68 wins. Not even nice. No, not even nice. Nothing. Thoughts? The Colorado Rockies at 77 wins. That's way off the owner's projection saying that they're going to win 94 this year. So I don't know. (laughs) I don't know who's in the right range here. That's a that's a 17 game swing. Um, But yeah, the Dodgers should win it. I don't. It's weird to see how many teams will finish below 500 in that division. But if you look at the the win spread out across all the other divisions, it, it evens it out. So I can see the Padres being a little bit better this year. Um, I can see the Diamondbacks falling off. Colorado is kind of a question mark. We never know about their pitching, but you know they'll always put up 87 runs and somehow lose 90 to 87. Um, and the Giants probably will be in last place. That sounds right. Yeah, yeah Giants suck. Um, Colorado is such a wild card because you don't know how they're going to play away from Coors Field. Um, Arizona is interesting. I, I, I mean, they kind of built their outfield a little bit, adding Marte. Um, they brought in Madison Bumgarner as well too. So, um, they've added a little bit. I wouldn't be shocked if they, I, I, I wouldn't be shocked if they came away with like 84 wins. Yeah, I could, I could see that. I, and what, what I mean by drop off is just maybe not exceed their win total from last year. That's basically right. It. So right. they're, they're in position to to be better, but there's always those teams that make those big acquisitions, the Phillies last year, that do not live up to those expectations. So, right. Uh, so we're we're all in agreement here that the National League East is just like a joke of a projection, right? Yeah, the Marlins have yeah. way too many wins. Yeah, and the, <laughs> the fact that they've put the back-to-back division champs, who again are bringing back the same rotation and the same lineup. And they put them at third, being two games over 500. Are you kidding me? Yeah, they even had the World Series champions finish finishing second in the division. Yeah, like it, it's. I I just don't get it. I, I I don't get it. Major League Baseball, you're dumb. Um, I'm ready. I'm ready to move on. I think it's the end of the show. I yeah, think this definitely. is a great time. Yeah. Great time to yeah. put a bow put a bow on it because what I was gone for about seven minutes during the show because I have horrible internet. Um, Zach, um, you were gone there for most of that segment at the end, but you were just taking it all in from Jeff, kind of like I was, which was awesome. Absolutely. And this is the time to wrap it up with the MVP of the week. Um, I'm going to be, I'm going to do a sentimental one here with, I mentioned it earlier, Jama Bowmeister and the, uh, first responders, um, for the first responders who get over there and help out Jay. And, you know, get him to safety immediately and for him to, you know, live through it all and just, you know, be a, to, like we mentioned, the athlete mentality is unlike any others. So for, for him to still go through what he did and have the assistance of first responders help him out, um, they're both MVPs of the week. So get a little sentimental after Jeff has cools down a little bit on that side. Zach, you're up. 
I, I, I think everyone should have the first responders and Jay Bo Meester as a uh, MVP for the week. Uh, that should go without saying. I will also toss Jason Zucker as mine. Two goals through two games as a Penguin. Um, or three, three, I guess three games technically now. Uh, two goals for three games and uh, got four games this week. So, All right, I'm going to go on a little bit of a rant here. So, um, so I was listening to the radio today. And uh, and I was listening to I think I think uh, the fan was interviewing Adam Frazier down in and spring training and they're asking about his injuries that he dealt with last year and he was giving like his answer you know I got to be healthy and you know take care of my body and hopefully get through a whole year and everything like that and he just heard the tone in his voice it, he just sounded like he wasn't wasn't excited for the year. Like he, he, he it, it seemed like the next 162 games that he's going to play in are going to be a job. He's not going to going to enjoy himself playing baseball this year. So I decided to hop on Twitter and I see Freddie Freeman come out for the Atlanta Braves who are apparently going to finish in third place in the National League East according to baseball to Major League Baseball. He comes out and says it's World Series of Bust for the Atlanta Braves, and we're going to be a good team this year. And just listening to that quote, I'm like, let's go. Baseball season's right here. Our our leader is pretty much saying, you know, we're in it to win it. Let's go. You know, we're going to be good. It's just going to be like last year all over again. Um, Freddie Freeman's my MVP of the week just because <laughs> he's got me hyped ready to go for some baseball, and my team's going to be awesome, and Dave's team's going to suck. It's going to be hard for them to win a World Series when they finish third in the division. Yeah, I, I, no respect again. This is the third year in a row that, that the writers aren't giving us respect, and we're fine with that. We're absolutely fine with that, and we're going we're gonna to crush it and hopefully not give up 10 runs in the first inning of Game 5 of the Division Series. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think that's, that's a nice uh, place to wrap it up. Zach, we'll get, we'll get going on that graphic and uh, statement for you to take that interim title off of your oh boy tag off of your title so um we'll get to that but i know we hope you enjoyed the show um you can listen to us on any platform anchor apple podcast google podcast spotify uh pocket stitcher there's a couple others out there too anchor does a pocket stitcher what the hell is that yeah that's my next question you you gotta check it out i i I read into what anchor does for us so uh, uh, that's one of the platforms that it that it um sends out for us so you know we appreciate everything that anchor does for us we appreciate you listening you can like us on facebook at icy takes with jeff and big dave maybe even changing the name to jeff and zach and big dave as long as as i'm still the first name that's said after the title of the show i'm happy (laughs) fair that's a small sacrifice i can make Just to spite, I'll just put Zach and Big Dave and Jeff because, like the Braves, <laughs> Jeff will be third. Sweet. Wow. <laughs> um, you can follow us on Twitter as well at Icy Takes, all together one word, I-C-E-Y Takes, and follow the personals at Big underscore Dave 52. At J. Chris underscore 51. At Zach Morris 82. All right. You heard it there. So hopefully we didn't go off too far off the rails, but I think we did a pretty good job of doing that. Real quick, too. Real quick, week. too. To, to, to the... Uh, our listeners too. Don't forget to read Zach's stuff on Pens of Anarchy, his game days. Cool. If you want some, if you want some good information and maybe some little funny to 
to get you ready for a Pens game on a game day. Read those game days. There's also a link to get to this podcast on there, too. Um, a lot of good stuff in there, so make sure you read those. Thank you, oh, Jeff. Yeah. Game yeah. day dropping tomorrow. Yeah, Pens yeah, Pens leaves. So, so here's a question for you. Since they do, a, they're doing a home and home. Do you just copy and paste? <laughs> a little what bit, it, right? In terms of the contents or the graphics? Uh, both. So graphics, I actually take my time on, and I'll do them a week in advance. Uh, you know, the Penguins always screw me with injuries, but generally, uh, we have different graphics for each game, home and away graphics. Um, and honestly, it's too much copy and pasting to worry about when you have so many different people helping out. I think we have three people that actually contribute almost as much as I do. Um, and they all have their own writing styles, which as the editor is fun for me because I get to go in and correct all those. But uh, no, it, uh, it's pretty spread out evenly. So I usually copy paste my templates, but uh, depends on who's writing. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. So, yeah, um, we'll Thanks, be back guys. here next week. Um, thank you for listening to us. And remember to stay icy. Love you guys.